So we're on page 1246, chapter 18, starting at verse, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Give her back double for what she has done. Pour a double portion for, from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen, I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She'll be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. And now we're going to read um, from chapter 19. Um, starting at verse 6, which is also on page 1247 at the end. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who, invite, who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Well, uh, good morning again. Uh, do... Uh, do open your Bibles if you've, if you've closed them uh, to page 1245. 
1,245. We're going to begin in Revelation 17. We're, we're looking at two and a half chapters uh, today. Um, it, it, this week and next week, we, we're looking at uh, this, uh, this chapter. We're describing uh, how God will defeat evil, who'll bring judgment upon it, to then bring about his new creation. So um, uh, we've got a, a challenging couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to look at half of the first half of this section uh, today. Uh, let me pray for us as we, uh, as we dive in. Father, thank you that you have spoken to us in your word so that we might live by it. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would believe what you teach us and help us to put into practice uh, what we hear as obedient uh, and faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to fix our eyes on that which is to come, that our joy may be in him and not in the things of this world, uh, so that the ultimate glory would be seen in him through our lives, we pray. Amen. Um, a number of years ago, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote these words talking about how easy it is to be drawn into the desires, the practices, the ambitions uh, of the world uh, rather than that of Christ. He said, uh, we are half-hearted creatures. We're fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder if you feel the force of what he's saying. You know, like, like children whose imaginations are so small they couldn't imagine that there is a world out there that is infinitely better and more glorious place to be than kind of sat in the mud in a slum, kind of just sort of entertaining ourselves, uh, making mud pies, he calls it. Uh, people not making the best of it in the slum, but actually those who just are too easily pleased. And notice he doesn't say they, he says we. Because he includes us in that. And I think here lies the challenge for us. We are just so easily pleased, busy making mud pies, thinking this is the life. Now why does this matter? Because uh, as Revelation is teaching us, God is, is in control of all things for the good of his people to bring them to his eternal glorious purposes in Christ. God will bring all things under Christ forever, and that is what God is doing. But in the present, the reality for Christians is the experience of struggle. Why? Because we live in a fallen world, and there are real forces of evil who are opposed to God's people, and they come in different ways. And the temptation for us is to live like the world because that is what those forces of evil are luring us to do. Uh, as we come to the, uh, the end of uh, the book of Revelation in the next few weeks, we're seeing that, that before the new can come that is promised, the old must go. 
Uh, and uh, last, last week in chapter 6, we were, also two weeks ago in chapter 6, we, we were seeing how God would promise that his judgment would fully and finally come upon the world. What must go? Well, we're going to see in chapter 17 to 20, uh, Babylon must go uh, and the evil that stands behind it. Now, like with Revelation, we, we're using here symbolic language, uh, uh, pictures, word pictures that try to help us understand uh, these realities. Uh, and so as we look at chapters uh, seven, 17, 18, and half of 19, uh, we're first dealing with the issue of Babylon. Now, uh, we're going to help us to see what that is, what God is doing, and how we're to respond in all of that. Uh, there's an outline on the notice sheets if you want to follow where we're going. I've put a little definition of what I think the woman represents and what the beast represents. Um, so uh, as we keep going through it, and you, keep, you might have to think, oh, what, what was that again? You, you've got it written down. Uh, I, I've had to do that this week uh, several times. Now, the first thing I want us to see in chapter 17 uh, is that we are living in Babylon. We are living in Babylon. What, what does that mean? Well, uh, 17 verse 1, we read, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitutes who sits by many waters. And, and the rest of chapter 17 is then dominated by this vision of this, this woman, uh, the great prostitute, who's described, verse 5, as Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and the, the abominations of the earth. Now, Babylon the Great has been mentioned a couple of times in Revelation so far, uh, and as one who will be judged by God. Well, um, what are we to make of who she is? Well, firstly, we remember what Babylon was in the Scriptures. It, it's a key city through the story of the Bible, isn't it? So uh, Babylon was the site of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Uh, and in t over time, Babylon came uh, a, a capital city of this great empire that took the nation of Israel into exile that destroyed and desecrated the temple uh, and decimated the city of Jerusalem. But by the time John was writing in the end of the first century uh, AD, well, uh, Babylon had become an insignificant kind of settlement and had been for several hundred years. It was basically ruins. But in the, in the scriptures, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament prophets and then into the New Testament, uh, Babylon came to symbolize all that was wrong in the world. A hostile rebellion to God, those who set themselves up against God. Uh, all uh, the ungodliness in the world is symbolized by Babylon. And so in John's uh, vision, the, the woman here represents society and culture that lives without reference to God. Or what Jesus simply recalls the world. The world. Uh, humanity in opposition and rebellion to God. She's described, verse 2, as a prostitute. Uh, and we read, verse 2, with her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. 
And again, remember, this isn't physical adultery. It's not literal. It is spiritual. You know, here, here that she, that this woman, she's drawing people, luring them to her, to to worship her gods, to to share her values. But you can't worship the true God and follow other gods. You can't serve both God and Babylon. Uh, to run after Babylon is to run away from God, and that is to commit adultery uh, in that language. And she's trying to seduce her. But look, see, see how attractive she is. Uh, verse 4. Uh, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. See, just how pleasing she is to the eye, how attractive she is. And there this cup held out to people, come, drink. Well, it might seem a bit of harmless fun, but the contents of that cup are truly awful. So don't be taken in because this woman personifies evil and wickedness. Verse six, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And now that is a chilling verse, isn't it? Despite her attractive appearance, she, she, she looks the part, but notice where she's sitting. Uh, there on the beast. Uh, and, and that's verse, uh, uh, end of verse seven, in, in verse seven. And remember, we've met the beast already, haven't we? Kind of back in chapter 13. Uh, the beast is going to be destroyed uh, in chapter 19. We'll, we'll get there next week. But, but, but the point is, if you remember, the beast uh, who in chapter 13, she, the beast represents worldly authority, kingdoms, and rulers in opposition to God. Well, how is that different from the, this prostitute? Well, on one level, we have, we have those in authority, the state, and riding on the state is the woman, the woman who, if you like, is culture and society that goes with that. And notice how kind of hand in hand they are. Uh, in biology, you, you call this symbiosis. So uh, think of a sea urchin that lives on top of a crab. Okay, this is from uh, some of my octonauts. Anyone watch octopus? So I, I learn all about marine biology there. Now, uh, so uh, symbiosis, that the sea urchin lives on top of the crab. Now, why does the crab let a sea urchin live on its shell? Because all of a sudden the crab is protected by the, the, the sea urchin, its, its spines. It's quite happy. But why does the sea urchin live on top of the crab? Because, well, the sea urchin gets to feed on all the, the leftover scrap food that the crab is kind of busy eating. Both benefit from each other. Their lives are bound together and so it is with the beast and the prostitute here uh, in chapter 17. Uh, the prostitute, verse 2, seduces kings, those in authority. A, a, a worldly, non-Christian way of thinking things that produces godless rulers who persecute believers. But once 
that, that, that they were, they're in power, the, the, the beast's in power, well, the, the beast becomes then the woman's pimp. The state promotes and even at times enforces her adulterous work. Now, verse, verse 9, the, the woman sits on the beast, uh, which has seven heads, which are seven hills. Now, I, I, I assume that's a reference to Rome, the eternal city built on seven hills. It could be Sheffield, but I would go with Rome, uh, if I were you. Um, but in John's day, Rome was the state, the imperial state. It enforced its law, its rule, by its armies. Uh, and yet it was a state that was hostile to God and to God's people. Uh, and that fostered a culture and society that served that ends. So if you wanted to trade, you had to join a guild. The guild you'd go to, you had to bow before the image of Caesar. You see, they go hand in hand, don't they? Uh, and it does in our day too. Uh, all Christians living in the last days in every culture are living in Babylon. We're living in the world. And the temptation is the same in every generation for God's people to slowly embrace the world's values uh, and to start to live by those standards, to normalize them as though that's okay for me as a Christian. Every generation, but we don't belong to this world. We're God's possession in Christ. We're sealed by his spirit. Uh, our experience is to live as strangers in this present world. Uh, we're like the people of Judah who lived in the 6th century BC, uh, living away from Jerusalem in Babylon, waiting for God to redeem them. But as we wait in that situation, the cup comes to us, doesn't it? of this woman who's dressed in scarlet, dripping with gold and jewels, all the promises that you could ever want here, just drink this cup. I wonder what that cup is for you. And where you'll focus on this world instead of Christ. I can't, I can't answer that because our temptations are all will be different. We'll all have our desires, the things that we long for, Maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe it's the possibility of travel or, or, or some great ambition for the future. And we just think if we drink this cup, all will be well. Well, we'll be fools indeed if we got into bed uh, with this woman. Why? Because she's heading for destruction. And that's chapter 18. So turn over the page with me. Babylon will fall. Babylon will fall, chapter 18. Now, uh, Babylon uh, might seem strong and powerful, but it will come to an end. Uh, now, uh, the, the woman of chapter uh, 17, uh, this vision of this great prostitute, now becomes more like a, a city. Okay? Uh, so, uh, chapter 18, verse 2, a mighty, uh, an angel with a mighty voice proclaims, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Uh, in Judah's day, remember in the 6th century BC, Babylon was the great superpower. Okay, she seemed indestructible. Her armies unstoppable. 
everything was under the shadow of Babylon, so mighty, so secure, that the walls of the city of Babylon were so thick, they could have chariot racers on the top of them. Every brick in the wall of Babylon had the name Nebuchadnezzar on it. Every brick. Okay, it, was, it, it was the symbol of strength and might and power. How could a city like this fall? But Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied that she would. It's, it's Isaiah 21, and it's quoted here in uh, chapter 18, verse 2 of uh, Revelation. And under the mighty judgment of God, this city of Babylon, great and secure, with her empire, did fall. It fell. And it became a ruin. You can visit it today. Uh, It's the haunt of birds and of animals. And in verse 4 and following, the angel announcing this to John wants us to know too that this world, this worldly Babylon, will also fall. Don't think that it's so secure. Uh, and, and it can feel like that, can't it? When, you, when the world is against you as a Christian, it can seem impregnable, uh, hostile to you. How can this change? Well, her sins are piled high to heaven, we're told. Judgment will come. But look halfway through verse 7. Uh, there she is in, in all her pride. She boasts in her heart, verse 7, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And so this boastful woman, this secular, worldly society, culture, and rebellion against God will be destroyed by God as he brings his judgment upon it. And on that day, when uh, all those who have invested their lives and their futures in Babylon will wail and mourn. They'll cry out, verse 10, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants will mourn, verses 11, 16. Uh, Verse 17 and following, that the the sailors, those who have founded their wealth on the seas, they will mourn too. And the chapter ends, verse 21, this little picture like a large millstone thrown into the sea. We're told, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. You see, God will bring about a final end to the world. And there is a, a, a finality in these verses, isn't there? Again, never again is, is repeated through these verses. Never to be found again. The music, the, the, all this worldly music will never be heard again. Uh, industry will never be found again. Uh, verse 23, marriages won't uh, happen. Babylon will finally and fully be brought to an end. Now just imagine for a moment that you lived in Pompeii in AD 79. Now, 
hopefully you will know what's coming here because you'll know about Pompeii, uh, the, 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 the city there. Uh, and one, you, you know, you're going about your work, whatever it might be, in the city, and this strange sight comes in, a geologist. Now, uh, kind of, this geologist is saying, uh, you know, look, the, the, this, this mountain of Vesuvius, it's, it's a volcano, it's bulging, it's about to erupt. It's going to destroy the city. Well, you've got a choice, haven't you? Do you believe the geologist or not? Would you stay? Well, the world will come to be judged. The city's going to be destroyed. And so in the light of that, we're left with the question, do we believe this? Because if we do, what should we do? Verse 4, chapter 18, verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Come out of her. Because you would do, wouldn't you? Stop participating in her values, in her way of thinking, in her sin. Come out of her. Why? Because it's going to be destroyed. Now, as Christians, we can't physically come out of the world okay you know it was Martin Luther who famously said uh, in the light of those who thought that you could withdraw from the world and its sinful temptations and uh, and form monasteries and such like little enclaves so we're not influenced by the world he famously said that you can take a monk out of the world but you can't take the world out of a monk you know we we we, we live in the world but taught Jesus We're not to be of the world. We're not to be of it. We're not to share its values. We're not to allow them to creep into our lives, into our thinking. Into uh, we're not to embrace them slowly, as though kind of somehow that's acceptable. Uh, Is is a question for you to reflect upon uh, in the next few days. If someone were to look into your life, uh, what you did with your time. How you spent your money, what you said, the, 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 how you related to other people. If someone were to look into to, to you, would they know that you're a Christian? Would they know that you're a Christian? Uh, when uh, Revelation calls us to come out of her, my people, because it will be destroyed, it is a call to live distinctive faithful and obedient lives in this world. Uh, one Peter puts this brilliantly in chapter 2. He says, he says to, to God's people uh, in the world, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received Mercy, we're to live distinctive lives in this world, not belonging to this world, not living of this world, but faithfully for Jesus. Don't share in the world's sins because you may find yourself caught up in its judgment. Uh, And thirdly, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, uh, we're to see where we're going. We're to compare Babylon uh, with the Lamb. That the party of her drinking and her adultery with the wedding 
that is planned for him. We're to uh, compare the two, and, uh, and we see this again and again in, in, in Revelation over the weeks, haven't we? We're, we're given a, 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 a picture of the world that we live in and the enemy that we face, and it is a dark picture, and it is hard to read, and yet wonderfully through Revelation again and again, uh, uh, as we gaze uh, on that, but not too long, our gaze is turned again, where? Uh, to heaven. Uh, to uh, where we're heading, to that glorious vision of our future in Christ. And so verse one, uh, after this I heard what sounded like a, the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Uh, here is the, the, the praise of God's people in the presence of God rejoicing in God's salvation. They've fled the judgments to come, the wrath of God upon a sinful world, and they've found their life and their joy in Christ. Verse 2, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And yes, throughout history, throughout time, yet even today, Babylon, in league with the beast, uh, are active in oppression and imprisonment and even the murder of Christians. And therefore it is right that we rejoice in the fall of Babylon, in the light of such things. Justice will be done. And that will be a cause of great joy for God's people. Uh, but as well as rejoicing in the judgment of God, there's also rejoicing in the hope of the church. Verse 7, the wedding of the Lamb. Because so we're told that the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has, been, has made herself ready. And yes, we're to compare that to the, to the adultery of the great prostitute. Uh, the wedding of the Lamb. <laughs> For whom are we living for? That is the great question, isn't it? What has captured our hearts? What is our, our love in the morning? Uh, when we get up to serve the day, what, what has captured our hearts? And, and, and here in this great vision, we, we've got two places, ultimately. Two places where our hearts are going to be captured. And you see, if, our, if your hope is in Christ then the falling of Babylon will be a great day because that fall will bring about the wedding of the Lamb when Christ returns and judges the world. And what a wonderful day that will be for God's people. That's why there'll be no marriage in heaven because it will be fulfilled in Christ, in our relationship with him. Look, it's not that we have the human institution of marriage and when God was looking for a good illustration to kind of make his point about how he relates to us and how he loves us, he thought, oh, I know, I'll use marriage. No, it's the other way around. Look, marriage is given to us in order that we might have an understanding of what a relationship with God is like. The ultimate purpose of marriage is that it's intended to serve as, as a visual aid of God's relationship with his people. Um, Paul Gardner, he puts it like this. He says, that is why the Bible insists on faithfulness in marriage because our marriage is a picture of 
God's love for us. And God is always faithful to us. That is why adultery is wrong. For God does not go in search of another bride. God created sexual joy to be at the heart of marriage and so reflect the joy of his relationship with us. So uh, for those of us here who are married, however good your marriage might be, the marriage with Christ will be infinitely better. And those who are, are not married, well, you've got a wonderful wedding to look forward to. And that is our future reality. And if that is the case, then what is our response? Well, to live now as those who belong to it. Again, uh, 1 Peter 2, he writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live as those who belong to that day. And as we do so, we display the glory of God to those around us, even when they accuse us of doing wrong. And as we do that, we long for the day when he returns. So don't set your heart on the things of this world. Live for the wedding of the Lamb, because that is what will come and will be eternal. Babylon will be destroyed. Don't invest in it. Invest in that which is to come. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, uh, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we are called as those who are to live uh, not of the world, uh, that we're to spiritually come out of this world to, to live such good lives. Father, we, we pray you forgive us uh, where we have allowed the world's values, its sinful desires that, that wage war against us to, to, to win, that we've, we've given in to them. Father, we're sorry. We want to pray that you would uh, cause us to seek your glory, to live for that which will come for eternity. Thank you that the Lord Jesus has promised that he will do this. And so we uh, thank you and praise you that uh, in Christ we are made ready for that wedding day. Uh, as we uh, clothe ourselves in Christ, his righteousness, we can look forward to that day in confidence and hope and in joy. For we ask this in your name. Amen. Oh,